this is the time of year for graduation, both high school and and college. Uh, Can you imagine uh, starting your life uh, this year in 2020? We're already in the habit, I know, of praying for our young folks, but it would seem to me that our young folks need extra prayer and extra uh, thought as they enter into their lives um, this particular year. So I want to share with you a four-part prayer this morning that I think will be helpful uh, to each of us, a four-part prayer in behalf of our young folks. Jesus, uh, he looked to Peter, Luke 22, 30 and 31, and he said, "Uh, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, uh, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter. I have made supplication for you that your faith will not fail. And that's exactly the prayer we pray for our young folks in many respects. Satan desires to have each one of us. He especially preys upon our young folks. And so we pray that they will not fail in their faith. And so please um, share with me this four-part prayer as, um, as we get started. The first part of the prayer, I would say, would be that our young folks would have great faith. That our young folks would have great faith. Jesus spoke of a certain centurion. In Matthew 8 and verse 10. He said, I have not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. Matthew 8 verse 10 and Luke 7 verse 9 also. And and think about that centurion with me for just a moment. The accounts are, again, Matthew 8. 5 through 13, and Luke 7, the first few verses there. And think with me about uh, this man. And, and let's ask this question. You know, why would Jesus be so impressed uh, with this man's faith? Why would Jesus be so impressed uh, with this man's faith? And I'm going to make some suggestions to you here. To you. For one thing, God, the Son of God, God Himself, is in search, constantly in search of great faith. You remember what he said about about Job when God was speaking with Satan back in Job chapter 1. He said said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. A perfect and upright man is he. He fears God and he turns away from evil all the time. Have you considered Job? God's in search. It, It excites God to find great faith. Over Matthew chapter 15, 21 through 28, we read about a, a mother who comes in behalf of, of the affliction of her daughter. And she continues to come uh, to Christ in spite of obstacles uh, placed in her way. And Jesus finally stopped in Matthew, in Matthew 15, 28, and he says, O woman, great is your faith. O woman, great is your faith. And of course, we read about great faith in, in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11. We read about the, the great faith of Abel and the great faith of Noble, uh, uh, Noah and the great faith of uh, Abraham, uh, the great faith of, of Sarah, the great faith uh, of Moses and Joseph and the children of Israel and on and on. God loves uh, to think about and commend 
a great faith. And so here Jesus is commending this man's faith as well. This man's faith is going to be unique as well. Because as Jesus remarks, this man is, is not from Israel. He, he did not grow up uh, in the scriptures. He most likely had an ungodly upbringing. Uh, this man is uh, working among the Romans. He is a Roman soldier. He is, he is advanced. He's a centurion, which means he's in charge of at least 100 soldiers or so. Uh, he has seen war. Uh, there is temptations um, to soldiers when they are occupying a land, when they have conquered and occupy, occupying a land. Uh, there is a temptation to soldiers to become greedy and to become vile in their living, to oppress people and, and be violent toward people, but, but not this man. Not this man. He has somehow searched out the Lord, and uh, he, has, he is growing in his faith, and so he's very unique. This is what excites Jesus about his faith. And another thing that excites Jesus about his faith is, is this man's faith is hopeful for a lot of other people. Right there in Matthew 8, if you're there, you notice in verse... 11, Jesus uh, kind of springboarding from this man's faith, he says, And many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this excites Jesus because this man's faith is just a, just a sample of what was coming. There would be many who would embrace the faith uh, from the Gentile world, and we're part of that. And this excites Jesus. Did you know it excites Jesus? that you are here. It excites Jesus that you believe in Him. It excites Jesus that you want to, to serve Him. It excites Jesus because this man has made the decision to follow Him. Even though he is surrounded with a lot of corruption, this man has made the decision. Notice in, in Matthew 8 and verse 10, it says, Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Some translations say uh, Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Uh, there's only other, one other place where uh, this word is used, and that's Mark 6 and verse 6, where it says Jesus marveled at some people's unbelief. Unbelief. Okay. Jesus there in Mark 6, 1 through 6, he had gone back to do some teaching and serving near his own hometown of, of Nazareth, and and he was able to do very little work there because of the people's unbelief. So Jesus is amazed at unbelief. Jesus is also amazed at belief. And so the decision comes to us. You know, which, which way are we going to go? And I know all of us want to have great faith in the Lord. We pray for our young folks that they would make the decision to have great faith. And this would be their number one and their, and their driving passion in their life to have great faith before the Lord. And this excites Jesus about this man's faith, and that is the various ingredients in his faith. Okay. And let's just notice those together and think about this, this particular account. The centurion uh, sends messengers to Jesus saying that his servant, whom he thinks very highly of, is very sick and at the point of death. And so he sends some Jewish leaders. If you look at Luke's account, Luke 7, he sends some Jewish leaders to Jesus, and they come to Jesus and tell him the situation. 
And the man says, Jesus, you don't, you don't have to come to my house. You just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus does do that. He, just, he doesn't even go to the house. He says the word and the servant is healed. Let's notice some ingredients of uh, this man's faith. First, his knowledge about Christ. He had searched out and found out about Jesus. He knew about His power. He knew about His goodness. And so certainly knowledge is, is huge when it comes to great faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ, Romans 10 and 17. And also another ingredient of this man's compassion. He has compassion upon his servant. You, you can replace the word servant there with slave. Uh, this man had compassion to his servant. Uh, and not everyone looked at servants the way the centurion does. Many looked at them as just another item at their household. Or a tool. Or an animal even. And once they were worn out, they, just, they would just get rid of them. But not this man. He had compassion upon his servant. And then he was very generous. Those Jewish leaders that Jesus, or the, the, the uh, centurion sent to Jesus, uh, they said to Jesus, this man has, has built us a synagogue. This man has been very generous to us in all our religious activities here. Uh, you need to pay attention uh, to this man. This man was very generous. This is what faith is. Faith is knowledge. Faith is compassion. Faith is being very generous with what we have. And this this man also, this centurion, he, was, he had a great faith because he was humble. He tells Jesus again and again, I am not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not worthy. He understands exactly the position of Jesus, the Son of God. He goes on to tell Jesus, he says, I also am a man under authority. I also have some authority. I understand a little bit about authority. You know, I'm, I'm able to say to some of my men to go and do, and they will go and do, and so forth, and they will come and to me when I ask them to come. I understand that. And that's when Jesus said this great statement about his faith. This man understands who Jesus is, the authority he has, the power that he has, and he was so humble. He says, I'm not worthy. And Don't you feel that way? Appreciate these songs about, about the blessings we have. Count our many blessings. Don't you feel that way? The Lord blesses and blesses. And at least I do. I start my prayers out with an unworthy feeling of all the Lord is doing. And then, of course, the man's belief is, is huge in his faith. Because he just says to Jesus, you know, you just say the word. He just say the word. He, he totally believes that Jesus is capable of doing what he has promised. All these are very important ingredients in our faith. So my first part of my prayer would be for our young people uh, that they would have great faith. They would have great faith. The second part of the prayer I would pray for young folks is that they would come to know that they would come to know that God truly loves them. And that's what we want. This is what we want before our children leave the home. We want them to know God loves them. Here's a couple thoughts about God's love. God is love. 1 John 4, 7, 8. 7 and 8. God is love. God doesn't need a reason to love us. He just loves. Now human beings, they shouldn't. We shouldn't. But it's a tendency of human beings 
to look for reasons to love other people. To look for reasons to be around other people. Well, you know, they're fun. Or uh, they have similarities to me. I'm going to love them. They have money. I'm going to love them. They're popular. I'm going to love them. God doesn't need a reason to love us. He just is love. He's love. If you took God's name out and put the word love in, it would make complete sense. Love created us. Yes. Love sent His Son. Yes. Love died for us. Yes. Love saves us. Yes. Love is preparing us a place in heaven. Yes. Love is with us. Yes. Love lifted me. Yes. God is love. He doesn't need a reason to love us because He is love. It's just the way He is. He can't help it. He can't help but love us because of just He is love. Here's the second thing about God's love. God loved us. God loved you before you were born. Yeah. God loved you before you were born. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Jeremiah 1 5. God said to Jeremiah the prophet. Before you were formed in your mother's womb. I knew you. Yeah. Same idea expressed in Psalm 139 in verse 16. Where David says, Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Way back then, before I was formed in my mother's womb, your eyes saw me, Lord. The Lord, we can't fathom the love of God. How deep it goes. And how wonderful it is. He loved us before we were born. And I'll tell you this also, just throw this in. He will love us completely after we die. He is preparing a place for us. Notice Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. If the, if the earthly house of this tabernacle, our body, if it, if it is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. God just doesn't stop loving. Which leads us to our next idea about love. God loves us in every situation. That's right. In every situation. In every situation. When Job was scraping off the sores of his body, and when Job was remembering the passing of his children, God still loved him. When Joseph was in prison being falsely accused, God loved him. When Paul was in prison also being falsely accused, God still loved him. When Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins, God still loved Jesus. God loves us in every situation. We read about this in Romans 8, 35 through 39, where it says, you know, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not, not tribulation, not persecution, not pearl, not sickness, not famine, not death, not anything. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Many of you... If you read much in past religious literature, you read about a man who preached named Charles Spurgeon. He was visiting with a farmer and they were walking along and on the top of the barn was a weather vane. And someone had attached the words, God is love, to that weather vane. And at first, Mr. Spurgeon spoke up and said, well... That doesn't represent God because 
that the weather's constantly changing and God never changes. But then after further thought, the idea was that whichever way the wind blows, God still loves us. That's true. Whichever the way the wind blows, God loves us. And my prayer would be that our young folks, no matter what age right now, would know that God truly loves them. This is not the most important part of God's love. The most important part of God's love is what we do with it. And the first thing we must do with God's love is to submit to Him. We submit to Him. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. As we've read, uh, read before, we are to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Submit to God. Because of His love for us, we want to return our submission to Him. This is exactly what we see happening as we open up uh, the book of Acts. You know, Jesus had given the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that doesn't believe will be condemned. When you open up to such places like Acts 2 and 37 and 38 and read that they repented of their sins and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, that's exactly what's happening. People are responding to the love of God manifested through the death of Jesus on the cross. But another part of the love of God is that it would dwell in us. That we would learn more and more and more to love others like God has loved us. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching his disciples in John 13 when he was washing their feet. And he, he says that very thing in John 13, 34 and 35. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is to be carried out in every part of life, even in the home. Even in the home. Titus 2, 3, and 4 says, uh, you know, wives, you love your husbands and love your children. And in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, you love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. It's, it's very, very important that when we learn about the love of God, that it, it is seen in our lives. Stories told years ago, a John Hopkins uh, University sociology class had been directed to study a group of boys who grew up in the inner city, very poor, and most of them in broken homes. But the curious thing of the study was that each of those boys had grown up to be very responsible, some even church-going people, but very responsible citizens. And they wanted to study why that happened and And as they interviewed the boys, now grown men, each of them spoke of one teacher at school. And they finally found that teacher in a nursing home. And they went and interviewed her. And all she would say is, I just tried to love each of them like my mother loved me. It's powerful to let God's love live in our lives. And our prayer is that our young folks would come to know just truly how much God loves them. The third part of the prayer I would have for young folks is that they would stand upon the Word of God. 
The third part of a prayer that we could pray for our young folks is they would stand upon the Word of God. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23-25, you know, all flesh is like grass, and the pride of flesh, the glory of flesh, the glory of us is like the flower of the grass. Well, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. We must stand upon the Word of God. And there are various ways to talk about this. Let's think about how the Bible uh, talks about the Word of God. Notice uh, these uh, seven ways in which the Bible speaks of the Word of God. The Bible is the book of history, the book of books. Uh, It's the book of books because it tells us about the greatest man who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the answer for our, our, our lives. He's the answer to sin. He died for our sins, Galatians 1 verse 4. So it is the book of history, the book of books. And then also, the Bible very much is a book of medicine. It's, it's like medicine. In Matthew 13, 15, Jesus says, If you understand my sayings, then you'll be healed. You'll be healed. By the way, not only is the Bible medicine, it's the x-ray machine as well, because it tells us our condition before God. As sinners, we are condemned. That's why we desperately need the Lord and Savior. That's why we desperately need uh, the blood of Jesus. That's why we must understand the love of God and uh, submit to Him. So uh, the Bible is like uh, medicine. The Bible is also very much like a, like a road map. Okay? Uh, there's no way for us to find our way uh, to heaven, to find our way to God, except through uh, the Bible. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Uh, Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says, uh, The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We, ju- we just lost, and, and we are helpless uh, without our Lord. So it's very much like a road map. It's very much, the Bible is also very much like a light. You know, we know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8 and verse 12. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but to follow Jesus, as, as he says there in John 14, 6, we've got to follow his truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. If, if the truth of Jesus is not found in the New Testament, then, then where is it? Where is it? So Jesus is the light. There is an Old Testament passage that you know and have memorized, I'm sure, some. 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible very much is, is like a light. And the Bible is very much food for the soul. So once you have become a Christian and you've committed yourself, dedicated yourself to follow Jesus, then, then you very much are going to need uh, nourishment for your soul. We understand nourishment for our physical body. Now notice these numbers on top here. Someone, and why people do these studies, I don't know, but we can make use of them. But according to this study, the average male in the United States, by the end of his life, will have eaten 50 head of cattle and 2,400 chickens. And uh, I think I left that one there. Uh, 50 pigs. No, no, no. 300 pigs. And then 20 acres of grain, and then also uh, 50 acres of fruit and vegetables. So he's got, you know, a young man starting out has got a lot to do. He's got a lot to eat. But it's much more important to think of 
the nourishment for our soul. And the Bible is that. Jesus said to Satan, Matthew 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The secret with Job was, Job 23 and verse 12, the secret with Job is, he says, I esteem the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. I treasure up, Job said, the words of the mouth of God. I treasure that more than I do my necessary food. That really is the key. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so the word of God is much like, a, much like food for the soul. And then it's a sword as, as well. Ephesians 6 and 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and and that sword is able to to penetrate our soul. It's able to get into our lives. It's able to help us cut out the things that that are are not good for us. It it, it helps us to add on to the thing, add the things that are most helpful to us. It's, It's like a sword, like a sword. And we rely on the Word of God. And very much, it's it's like a fire. Jeremiah says that in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. It's like fire in his bones. We need the Word of God. We need it to stay away from sin. We need it as food for the soul. We need it as light and and direction in our lives. And and we need it to instill fire in us and passion and to reignite our... You know, as Andrew was praying just a little bit ago, sometimes the world uh, is just so overwhelming. We need the the first day of the week, and we also need uh, the Word of God to reignite us, uh, to remind us of why we are really here, what life is really about. It's really not about this world, but it's about getting to heaven. This world is not our home. And so the third part of my prayer for our young folks would be that they would stand upon the Word of God. I I love the the Pew Packer song, still I do. And uh, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God. And that, that's the book. And that's the book for all of us. And then finally, the fourth part of my prayer is that, that young folks would serve God right now. That there would be no idea of waiting to a certain time to, to serve God. There would be no idea of... of um, living for uh, myself or living for... Um, pleasures in this world until later, but rather that God would want them to, to serve right now. Right now. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Remember now. And I love what John writes in 1 John 2.14. He says, I write unto you young men because you are strong and because the Word of God abides in you. And because you resist the evil one. That's that's exactly what you want to hear. And that's precisely the potential that's in each young person. It doesn't have to be that sin is recycled in the teenage years and in the young adult years again and again and again and again. In fact, not only does it not have to be, it shouldn't be. We have all the tools, we have all the means before us to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And young people need to know the Lord is, is after you right now. That he, he would love and it is His desire, in fact it's His will, that we serve Him right now. Right now. And not put off uh, 
anything that we ought to be doing with the Lord. Think about David. How young he was when he went up against Goliath. Think about God's call upon Mary and Joseph when they were probably just teenagers to bear the Son of God. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 and 12, Let no man despise thy youth. Don't let people look down upon your youth. But you be an example in conversation, the manner of life, and your conversations, your word, your faith, your purity, your, all of it. You be an example. Well, that would be my four-part prayer. And I know that many of you pray for the young folks, and we should. We pray for each other, most definitely. Your prayer would probably, uh, you know, you would add much more to this. But at least this is, these are four things that we definitely need to think about, and we need to pray in regard to our young folks. And as we get ready now, you know, in just a moment, we will be gathering around uh, the Lord's table taking of the communion and at that time in worship we especially examine ourselves but but at the end of a Bible lesson you naturally want to examine yourselves as well the word of God as we have said it is an x-ray to our soul it's a mirror to how we really are and as we come to the close of this lesson having reading these several scriptures it's just almost natural just to examine ourselves and see, you know, what am I doing? Where am I at? Am I answering these prayers? Am I living according to God's will? We invite you this morning, if there's any spiritual need, if you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism, are you ready to come back home to Him? You want to reignite your fire for the Lord in any way? Please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Hester.